0: Your Bibles, open them up to Exodus uh, chapter 31, and I'm excited about tonight because uh, we're starting a new series called Ordinary Extras, Ordinary Extras, and it's beautiful because God uses people who are just like extras in his plan, in his universal historic Plan, they're just little extras, people that are insignificant, nobodies almost, that they don't even have a name in the Bible sometimes. But God uses them to shape history like to literally shape history. And um, tonight, we're going to be looking at this uh, this guy called Bezalel. And uh, I don't know, maybe he was a tradey, right? He was a tradey, so maybe his friends called him Beza. I'm not sure. But over the years, I've met people who uh, don't like people like Bezalel. Or, or, or they say things like, you know, in order to, to have real ministry, they need to leave their secular job and become pastors or, or missionaries to do the work of God. You know, like the regular person doesn't do the work of God, but you have to be a professional Christian. So I've been a professional Christian myself for about 14 years now. But before that, I was an amateur volunteer. <laughs> Isn't it silly to say things like that, to hear something like that? But, uh, but sadly, many of us have grown up in churches where it is the professional that gets the jobs because they're the ones being paid. And so they're the ones that do all the work. But God doesn't pick people like that. In fact, all throughout history, uh, not just the Bible, God chooses the interesting people, that man doesn't choose. I mean, you look at David, right? King David. He's famous in the Bible, right? But before he was famous, he was insignificant. We're not going to be looking at David in this series. We're going to be looking at regular, ordinary nobodies that not many people talk about. But yeah, have you ever met people like that? They uh, they say that um, you know, in order to do the work of God, they've got to be a pastor or a missionary or in some kind of ministry. Paid ministry or something like that. But the Bible tells a different story of how God can use ordinary people, even people who make mistakes, to help shape history for the better. If anyone asks me specifically how many ministers we have at Hopeful Pakenham Church, I, I, uh, I answer them all of uh, This is my answer uh, all of them. That's how many minis- ministers we have at our church. All of us are ministers, right? All of us. Do some of us have issues? Yes. Uh, Are all of us up front? No. But all of us are ministers for God. I've also met people who think that preaching the gospel only involves words. In other words, the arts play no place, play no role, sorry, in uh, preaching the gospel. They say things like, you can't paint the gospel. You can't dance the gospel. You can't minister as a tradie. Oh, don't get me wrong. You can work as a tradie and, you know, raise enough funds to pay for those who who minister. But you can't minister as a tradie. I can hear Dale right now saying, uh, that's wrong, Ian. And I agree with you, Dale. You can minister as a tradie. And the Bible is full of people like Bezalel who aren't specifically out the front kind of leading the way leaders, but God uses them specifically for a task. And, and often, more often than not, they don't even realize how important they are in that task. It's probably why God chose them. The Bible tells us, tells us of a God who employs ordinary people in his business to help shape history. In the scenes of the Bible, we see the main stars, yes, but we can sometimes not notice the extras in the background who made an impact. So we will start this short series with an introduction to a creative man called Bezalel. We might put up um, there. He is a perfect example of how secular and sacred can merge when God is the king of your life. You know, you can actually serve God as a nurse. You can actually serve God as an accountant. You can actually serve God as a plumber. You can serve God as a bikey. You know, you can serve God in whatever role you have. You can serve him. And God is really, really good at using people like that who are willing to put their hand up and say, I want to be employed in your business, God. But we can sometimes not notice the extras in the Bible, in the background, who made an impact. So tonight we're going to be starting with Bezalel, as I said. He's a perfect example, right? Secular and sacred merging when God is your king. And we can learn that our everyday ordinary is an opportunity for us to bring God glory as an extra in his story. Now, most of us have probably heard of Bono, right? But I will tell you, if you haven't, that he is the lead singer of U2. Now, Bono is a believer. Now, Bono came across this same attitude of, uh, uh, when he was a teenager. He was advised by a church leader not to go into the music business because it was dirty and to concentrate his musical gifts on Christian worship. Now, Christian worship is great, right? Christian worship ministries are very valuable. This is not speaking out against Christian worship at all. But had Bono taken that advice, what would would the world have lost? The Christian influence within U2's music has reached so many people who would never even consider listening to a sermon on Spotify or whatever, or, or stepping foot into a church. But yet the values and the standards and the spirit of U2's music has penetrated so many hearts and lives. Let's open up Exodus 36, shall we? We're going to skip from verse 34, 31. We're going to go to verse 30, uh, chapter, sorry, not chapter 31, but chapter 36. Are you still awake? You're all good? Everyone good? Good. Exodus 36. And um, I'm going to go to uh, verse 1. Everything is about to be constructed exactly as the Lord had shown it to Moses on the mountain. Now, it's interesting, actually, because in chapter 25, verse 9, God's speaking to Moses on the mountain, right? And he says these words, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern. I will show you, right? Not tell you, but show you. It's interesting. And also later on in, in chapter 26 and in verse 30, God says to Moses, set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. All right, so now it's, the Lord's about to show. Uh, the Lord's about to show what the tabernacle looks like through Bezalel. All right, Exodus thirty-six, one to seven. The Lord has gifted Bezalel. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. The Lord has gifted Mo, uh, Bezalel, Holyab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. They were so excited about this work, right? Verse 5, they went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Now get that. What church have you ever been to where someone's just gone, okay, everyone, just stop giving. Just stop it. Right, stop. We get it, but just stop giving. Stop donating money to us. Stop bringing your offerings and your tithes. Just stop. You ever been to a church like that? Anyone? No, me neither. This is the heart of the people for something that's going to be built for them to to minister to God and to... Fellowship with God. And it's called the tabernacle. Right before this time, they didn't have a tabernacle. They just had like these pillars of fire and smoke as they exited out of uh, Egypt with Moses. And Moses was the guy who spoke, right? And Moses would go into his tent every so often and he would speak with God. And the Israelites could see from a distance this, this cloud coming upon the tent. And Moses would speak with God inside the tent of meeting. And then he'd leave the tent and some uh, parts where his face shone because of the glory of the Lord in that place. And it was always God's plan to meet with his people. And here, God chooses this guy, Bezalel. Bezalel. His name means in the shadow of God or in the protection of God. Here is Bezalel, and he's building something for worship. I want you to turn with me to Exodus 25. Because what we, what we don't see tonight in the sermon, or in the Bible readings, there's so much Bible reading about this whole fiasco. But Moses goes up to the mountain, talks to God. God shows him the vision of the tabernacle, which is actually a real thing in heaven. And God shows him this vision of the tabernacle. And he says these words in um, Exodus chapter 25 and verse uh, 8. So he's he's basically just outlined to um, Moses what he wanted the people to bring as offerings. Then he says this in verse 8. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Have the people build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Now, that is the reason why God wanted this temple to be built. So that that he could live among us. God's heart has always been for us. To have fellowship with us. Human beings. The human race. There is no... Race or religion, there is just humanity and God wanting to have a relationship with us. Sometimes we try and choose that relationship on our own terms. But God details in the Bible how it is that, he, that we can fellowship with Him, to live with Him, to be with Him, to have a, a relationship with Him. And he does this with Moses, he shares this with Moses. Moses ends up going down from the mountain the first time, and all the people had built a calf out of gold, out of all their gold earrings and necklaces and things. And Moses got upset, broke the tablets, ended up going up the mountain again, talking with God. God revealed this vision again, and he then shares this vision that he saw with Bezalel, the builder. I wanna show you some pictures of the temple, if we can. We've got some pictures here. Okay, so this is here, um, not so much the temple, it's the tabernacle, the first thing, okay? So ba- basically tabernacle just means tent, okay? So it was a big tent. Now, I don't want to offend anyone, but it's basically the size of a shipping container, okay? So the, uh, the, this is the outer courtyard, and as a, as a person would come to worship, they would enter in through this gateway here and what they would see first off is the brazen altar, the bronze altar, where it's basically a massive barbecue, right, with a grill on it. And they'd put their offerings on top of that fire and they would sacrifice, that there'd be that sacrifice, that offering for, for sins, right? And then they'd move from there through to here. Oh, by the way, the people wouldn't go any further. The priests would go from here, they would wash their hands and their feet in the, uh, in the brazen um, basin uh, made of pure gold, right? And then they would move from there and they would enter into the holy place, okay? Which, um, as they went into the holy place, on the left, I've got one here. Um, this is a, a cheap knockoff, but this is a menorah, okay? And uh, basically it's a lampstand. And uh, in the Bible, this was a, a bigger big lamp stand right and it was constructed out of pure gold one piece of gold right so this is legitimately very valuable thing and this would be on the left-hand side as they went in through the front gate the front door they'd see this l- lighting up the whole of the holy place okay this menorah these 12 lamps these 12 flames burning okay shining towards the other side of the room which is a table with bread on it, okay? And it's the table of the bread of the presence. And so as these priests would go into this room, they would see the menorah and they'd be reminded that God is the light that guides the way. And, and then they'd turn and see the bread of the presence and they'd be reminded that God wants to fellowship and and be present with us, right? And so they'd, and then they'd go on from there to before they entered into the, or they wouldn't go into the Holy of Holies, but they would come to uh, a a little uh, altar called the Altar of Incense. Now I've got, oh, I've got some myrrh, some lumps of myrrh here, and uh, Incensio de Mira, if you're Italian tonight, uh, or Latin. And uh, this is basically just resin. And there'd be a whole lot of this, there'd be a whole lot of this um, frankincense and myrrh and just be burning continually. So there'd be in this room, this holy place, you would, you would have all of your senses, right? Heightened, there would be light. You could see the bread, you could smell the bread because it's fresh every day. And then you'd, you'd smell the incense and the smoke would be in the, in the room, right? From the incense. So this whole experience which wasn't just for religious purposes to make God happy. It was actually in order that the priests would understand who God is and what He wants. So He is the light, right? And He lights the way. He is the, he is the provider for us. So he gives us bread. He gives us all that we need. But He also wants to fellowship with us. And the incense is like this continual offering up of prayer, right? This connection that God wants with us. But what happens is, there's this, behind the incense altar, there's this curtain with uh, cherubim embroidered on it. It's, this, is, uh, this is the quick version, all right? Everything's covered in gold, by the way. And behind that curtain with the cherubim on it is the Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, it, and it's constructed out of uh, acacia covered in gold, and it's got a lid on it that comes off. And inside that, it's a box. it's a box, right? Inside that box which is in a room which is four and a half meters cubed, right? Any tradies? Four and a half meter cubed room. There's this box. Inside that box is uh, some manna. There's the uh, staff that Aaron uh, had with buds coming off of it. And if anyone can guess what the third thing is, I want you to send the notification on Facebook so that I still know that you guys are listening. And on top of this, ark of the covenant would be a lid and there'd be two seraphim facing each other and God would meet his presence would be his Shekinah glory would be in between those two seraphim as uh, as he came down to meet with the priest who would go in every year to uh to offer atonement on the day of atonement all right and Moses Moses shared hmm? Oh yeah, how about we go to close up? So here's a close up of the. Um, there's a priest there, and uh, and I'm I'm showing you all this because this is what Bezalel did. All right, he managed all of this. He was the foreman for the whole entire project. All right, uh, he wasn't. He was the architect, I suppose. Um, Moses was the visionary. Uh, God was the ultimate architect and planner, but um, Bezalel put it all into three dimensional, you know? And so everything's covered in gold, it's all acacia wood, um, it's, a, it's about nine meters long, uh, sorry, 13.7 meters long and 4.6 meters wide. And um, this whole thing, including the, uh, the brazen altar, the bronze altar, the bronze basin, uh, and every, every, every other piece of furniture in here, as well as the priest's garments, were made by Bezalel and his crew. And it's beautiful because what we see here is Bezalel worshipping God before there's a tabernacle, before there's any kind of sanctuary or a song and dance. He is worshipping God. He's, He's being obedient to what God has instructed him to do. And, and he did everything as the Lord commanded. It's beautiful because Bezalel could have just come up with his own plan and thought, well, no, that's silly. I'd have a bigger table. But no, if God said it was going to be 100 cubits long, it was going to be 100 cubits long. Right? And every single measurement that the God gave to Moses on the mountain was perfectly scaled to what there was in heaven. While we're here, I want you to keep your spot in Exodus 36. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. And I want to show you something, because sometimes when people talk about temples in heaven, you think they think you're a weirdo. But I want you to show this. I want to show you this. Uh, Verse 22, Hebrews 9:22. Uh, we'll read on from there. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. You know, it's really beautiful because, and I don't know if... I don't think Bezalel understood this or even Moses understood this completely or even Aholiab or the other skilled tradesmen. They were working hard just doing what God said and what God was doing was not just getting them to build a tabernacle but getting them to build something that represented something way more important that was going to come in the future to be the ultimate God with his people. And Bezalel was just an ordinary extra in God's plan. But Bezalel wasn't the only one. Bezalel needed helpers. He needed helpers. So look at this. In, um, in, in uh, 31, we see this. Uh, verse 3, Exodus chapter 31, verse 3. God says, I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He needed help from God. It wasn't just because he was a skilled tradesman and God could just use him. No, no, he needed help from God. He needed to be filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, did you know, fun fact for tonight, that Bezalel was the first person in the Bible filled with the Spirit of God? He's the first person said to be filled with the Spirit of God, a tradie called Beza. Isn't that just awesome that our God chooses people like that? So he needed help, not just just from others, not just from other tradies, other uh, workers, but he needed help from God, the Holy Spirit in him, to help him to do all of the work and to give him the wisdom to manage all of the workers that were doing the work. Also, he needed the help of the people. He needed all of those resources to come in. The gems, the gold, the silver, the timber, whatever resources the Israelites could bring. Bezalel needed to manage all of those as well. He needed that. He couldn't provide that himself. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Because God uses us like ordinary extras in his, in his story. But we're not alone. We need him And we need others around us. And we can't provide it all ourselves. There are people that want to bless us with things that we could use to minister to others with. So it's a a beautiful picture of the church. Another thing that Bezalel um, does that I see is really beautiful is that Bezalel steps out of the way once his job is completed. You know, after uh, Exodus chapter 36, we see... um, Moses then giving the instructions to all the people and then and then the construction of this tabernacle happens and we don't we don't see any kind of you know ceremony at the end congratulating Bezalel and all the other workers. They don't kind of get medals or awards or anything. You know, they just kind of step back behind into the extra crowd behind. Yeah, you know, they're just ordinary extras. I just love that about Bezalel. You know, because sometimes in life we feel like um, people need to notice us, or we need to be noticed. Um, but the only notice that we should be trying to seek is the notice of our God. To get His approval, and once our job is finished, then we just step back and wait for further orders. So He, um, he steps out of the way when uh, once His job is completed, which is beautiful. But the last thing I really wanted to focus on is that. Bezalel built something that was so valuable, um, not just because it, it was covered in gold and it was, a, it was a place where people could come and meet with God, but it was, it was so valuable because it was something that pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a, is a type of temple. Jesus himself, um, talking about his own death and resurrection, um, said, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. Uh, John chapter 1 starts off by saying, um, well, let's turn there, actually. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Because I want you guys to see this, because um, these... This design of the temple in the, t- the tabernacle in the Old Testament is uh, it points towards something that's uh, the real thing, all right. So John chapter one, all right, verse one. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, he was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And this is the verse, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That word for home, he made his home among us, is actually the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He he tabernacled among us. And it's a beautiful picture because what we see in, in the whole plan of the tabernacle is really a sense of how a person comes to salvation, comes into the presence of God. Um, it's only through Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice. There's, there's so much imagery in the Old Testament, and it's beautiful. It, 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 it heightens the senses. You know, sight, smell, touch, everything's there. Sound. But it's nothing without pointing to the real person of Jesus Christ behind it all. God with us, the one who made a way. And Bezalel built something that pointed toward Jesus Christ. Now, challenge for us all tonight is, what are you building? You know, God can use anybody. He can use uh, ordinary people. He can use people that can uh, change the world just by doing what they do best. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a worship leader or a musician to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Just like Bezalel, you have to be available. And you have to do things God's way. He has to, has to be God's way all the time. But what are you building in your life that points to Jesus Christ? You know, what relationships are you building that point to Jesus Christ? What career path are you building that points to Jesus Christ? What conversations are you having every single day of the week with your loved ones and your neighbours that point to Jesus Christ? What are you building that's pointing to Jesus Christ? That's a challenge for tonight. Because even if you feel like you're not building something very valuable, if it's in the right, if it's, if it's in the right hands, if it's in God's hands and it's his will for you to do that, then he will make it something that points to Jesus. I want to pray for you. I hope you guys, um, yeah, blessed by that. If you've got any questions, let me know um, anything more about um, the temple, uh, the tabernacle. Uh, shoot me a text or a, an email. Let me know. Otherwise, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you use Ordinary extras. and We thank you, Lord, for the story of Bezalel. We thank you, Lord, that uh, he was faithful, uh, that he was a hard worker, that he did things to your plan, uh, and that, Lord, he did things being filled with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, sometimes, um, and sorry, Lord, all the time, as we do things being led by your Holy Spirit, we know we're building something. Sometimes we don't see it right now, sometimes it is not complete. But we know, Lord, if it's led by your Holy Spirit, it's something that points to Jesus and brings salvation to somebody. And it's all part of your plan. And so, God, we just want to commit to you, Lord, our ordinary days this week, every single one of them. Lord, sometimes it's, it's a bit tough being uh, in lockdown at home and it feels like you're not doing anything. But God, we just thank you so much that you're able to take the ordinary and you're able to make it special. You could take the, the mundane and make it sacred and so lord help us to be encouraged tonight to know that you use all kinds of people we look forward to what you're going to do in us and through us this week for jesus glory in his name we pray amen